What comes to your mind when you hear the word church? If we were to ask a lot of people that question, we might get a lot of different answers. Um, Especially since if you look up the word church in a dictionary, you will see that the primary definition is a building where Christians hold public worship. Which is tragic because nowhere in the New Testament does the word church refer to an actual building. It refers to a people. We don't go to church. We are the church. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be in this new series called Rethinking the Church. We're going to be talking about a number of the different metaphors that God uses in his word to help us understand what we are as a church, what he wants for us and has given to us as a church. This is something that's important for you and I as Christians to understand, as well as to be able to articulate to our non-Christian friends and neighbors and co-workers and classmates. So I'm excited to talk about these things for the next coming weeks. And this week, we're going to talk about the fact that in the scriptures, God tells us that the church is the household of God. And that word household is the word, uh, a Greek word that refers to a family or all the people that live under one roof, so to speak. And that's informative for us, that we as a church are a family. We are members of the household of God. So we're going to look at that today. And I'm going to read from Ephesians 2. That's one of the places that we see this phrase used, this word used about us. So turn with me there, Ephesians 2, 18 through 20. It's on page 1242 if you're going to use one of our Bibles. And let's read this. I'll read this for us this morning. Here now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. For through him, that's Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, through your spirit, and most, most of all in the person and work of your son. And we want to value the church uh, as we ought. And we want to see the beauty and blessing that we have as being members of your household, members of a church family. Would you use our time this morning and throughout this series, Lord, to help us love the church? Would you grow us and stretch us? And would you use this time, Holy Spirit, to transform us and help us to be, as a church, uh, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's one of the places that we see Paul use that phrase that we are members of the household of God. And so we're going to be looking at uh, that, this in another place that we see that and thinking about what does that mean for us as a church. And ultimately what it means is that the church is exactly what Paul says. It is the household of God. It is a family. It's meant to be a family. And that through faith we can and should enjoy the beauty and the benefits of living together as one big family. And not only do we want to 
understand that so we can treat each other as family, but also so that we remember that this is a, a very welcoming family. We want to see more and more people from our neighbors join this family. We want it to be a growing family. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be the household of God, and we're going to talk about the two key elements in that. Number one, that through faith in Christ, we are God's children. He is our Father. And then number two, in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. As we look around this room, we should not think, these are the people I go to church with, or these are the people who believe what I believe, but rather, these are my brothers And these are my sisters. So let's talk about those two things. In Christ, we are God's children. And in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. First, we'll talk about being God's children. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. And notice that in verse 18, Paul talks about our access to the Father through the Spirit. And having mentioned Father, in the very next verse, in 19, he says that we are, among other things, members of the household of God. And so one of the things we have to realize if we're going to understand how we are the household of God and how to live as the household of God is that very special truth that we are God's children through faith. God is our Father. One of the most central truths of Christianity is the fact that when someone has truly put their faith in Christ, they become a child of God. God is their Father. Now and forever. J.I. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught... Everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God the Father. And what he's getting at there is as we internalize that, as we believe that that's true, that through faith then God becomes our Father, that should be radically transforming in our lives. should be something that we're thinking about Quite often. Now, I will say this. Sometimes when we talk about the fact that God is our father, that can make things difficult, particularly if we grew up in a home where our father was not there, or if we had a father that was cruel, if we had a father that was unkind. And one of the things that's so important to do then in realizing that God is our father is to let God be the understanding or our understanding of what a father is supposed to be. Uh, One theologian says this, when certain concepts are ascribed to God, they are thus not used figuratively, but in their first and most original sense. God is not, as it were, a father. He is the father from whom all fatherhood on earth is derived. So in other words, one of the things we have to do to understand what it means to be a child of God and to have God as our father is to not let the experience of our earthly fathers determine our understanding of God as our Father. Because He's not just a Father. He is the Father. And He is perfect. And He loves us with a love that is beyond our comprehension. He cherishes us more than we could ever imagine. Jerry Bridges talks about five ways, five key things we should think about when we think about God as our Father. Number one, that God provides for us. We see that in Philippians 14. 
Number two, God, our perfect Father, protects us, as we see in Matthew 10. Number three, God, our perfect Father, encourages us, as we see in Psalm 10. Number four, God comforts us, 2 Corinthians 1. Number five, God disciplines us, Hebrews 12. He loves us enough to redirect us, to correct us, reshape us. You see, the fact that God is our Father is what makes us members of the household of God, the family of God. It's having God as our Father. And that also then establishes that relationship we have with one another. If He is our Father, then we are brothers and sisters. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But before we do that, we have to remember how we actually become a child of God. How do you become, how does a person become a child of God? Almighty God. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity distinct from every other belief. And that is that God becomes our Father. We become a child of God, not by doing the right things or not doing the wrong things, not by anything that we do, but rather by the grace of God as He works faith in us through the Holy Spirit. And as we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, that's how we become a child of God. This is what John says in John 1.12, where he says, But to all who did receive him, that's Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do we become a child of God? By God choosing us to be his children. Not for anything that we've done, but for what Christ would do for us. And he lavishes his love upon us. And it's not something we've earned. We could never do enough to earn the right to be a child of God. It had to be something that we received by grace. And it is something that we've all received if we have faith in Christ. We have all become children of God. We become children of God when we're born again by the power of the Spirit. And we repent of our sins and turn to Christ through faith. And we can know for certain then that God is our Father, by grace, through faith. And that, as we'll see, is critically important if we're going to understand how God wants us to relate to one another. But, but thinking about that, thinking about the fact that God makes us His children, we become His children by grace through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Think about this. I was reading and I came across this story about this young girl who was adopted twice. Uh, she, in the first family that she was adopted by, for whatever reason, they eventually dissolved that adoption, and she was put up for adoption a second time, if you can imagine that. Now, when she was adopted the second time, she was adopted by a family, uh, a very loving family with several kids, and shortly after they adopted her, they found out that this family that she had lived with before had done something pretty sad. They had gone to Disney World several times, and they had always taken their biological children and left her at home with friends. And the only thing that she understood was that they weren't taking her because of her behavior. And so when the father of this second family, this new adoptive family, found out about this, he said, we are going to Disney World now. Get in the car. Um, now, they actually planned it out. They planned out a trip, but he wanted to take his family and this new daughter, to Disney World. So they planned it out, and when there was about a month left to go before they were able to take this trip, this young girl's behavior just went 
haywire. She began to tell lies. She began to say really cruel things to her siblings. She began to steal food when she could have just asked. And she was really kind of going off the rails. And so this dad sat down with her, had to address this behavior. And he sat down with her and said that they needed to talk. And this little girl looked up and looked up at him and she said, I I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that I don't get to go to Disney World, aren't you? And now he says that there was something in him that made him want to say, well, if you don't shape up, we're not going to take you. But he knew that what she needed more than anything is to know the love of a father, love like the, the father's love. And so he said to her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? And she looks up at him with tears in her eyes and she nods. And he says, are you part of this family? And she looks at him and she nods. And he said, okay, then you're going. There may be some consequences for this behavior, but it's you're going to come to Disney World with us, absolutely. And so finally the trip comes and they go. And they have a wonderful time. It was a normal day at Disney, overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, lots of lines (laughs) mingled with just enough manufactured magic to go back a second time. And in the hotel room that night, they had noticed a real change in this girl. She was different. And um, her rebellion seemed to be over. And so her dad, her new dad, sat next to her on the bed as they were tucking in the kids. And he said to her, how was your first day at Disney World? And she grabs her little stuffed animal and she squeezes it and closes her eyes. And then she opens her eyes just a crack and she looks up at him. And she said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. And that is one of the most fundamental things that we need to understand about our relationship with God, our Father. He's our father and we receive all of the unlimited blessings of having him as our father, not because we're good, but because we're his. Because Christ on the cross has paid for our sin and he has also put us into the family of God. And if we're going to live like a big family, we have to be people who are absolutely sure that we're not in the family of God because we deserve it or because we did something to earn it, but rather because Christ, our true big brother, has paid our debt and brought us into the family. And God is our Father. Not because we earned it, but because of the grace of God. And see, that that helps us then understand how we're to relate to one another as well. Because if God relates to us by grace, if we're his children by his grace... He doesn't make us earn that status. That helps us understand how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters, doesn't it? We don't make each other earn that status of being our brother or our sister. It's something we give to them by grace. In fact, it's not something we give to them at all. It's something God has given to us, that these are our brothers. These are our sisters. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that in Christ... We are sisters and brothers. We are siblings. 
Did you know the Apostle Paul uses the word brother or brothers 85 times in his 13 epistles? One of the most central truths of Christianity is that when someone truly puts their faith in Christ, they become spiritual siblings with all other believers. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Most, if not the majority, of uh, the commands we see in the New Testament do not have to do with how we're meant to treat people outside of our church family. There are plenty of commands that tell us how we treat people who are outside the church family with love, kindness, even our enemies. We're to love our enemies. But the majority of the commands that we see in Scripture in the New Testament are specifically teaching us how to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. How to live as a family. Now, the reality is that if a family is going to experience what it's like to be a family, there's, but there's certain behaviors that are involved in that. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. This is another place where Paul uses the word to describe the church as the household of God. He says, verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So God has these instructions for us as to how he wants us to live as members of his family. He has ways he wants us to treat our brothers and our sisters. And this makes so much sense to me as I was thinking about this as a parent. Because when I think about our children, a lot of what I instruct them with, or a lot of a lot of commands that I give to them, do have to do with how they're to treat others in the world. But the majority of the times I'm addressing them, it's to keep them from tearing each other apart, right? I'm trying to help them learn how to love each other because we're a family. And here's what I know. I know that when they treat each other as they are called to by God, the feeling, the enjoyment of being in our family is its highest. And so we, we have to understand that God commands us to live certain ways, to behave certain ways as a church, treat each other certain ways, treat our brothers and sisters certain ways, not to earn something from him. Remember, he's our father by grace through what Christ has done, but rather to experience something that we can't experience otherwise in this world. And that is to live like a true family, to live the way the kingdom should function. Look at your bulletin. Look at the um, affirmation of faith. I want you to think about this again. It says, what is a church? God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. God wants the world to see what it's like in his family. And he wants us to experience that. And so he gives us all these commands. You know, there's, when you think about the commands that God gives us that are for inside, for how we treat one another, uh, we often refer to them as the one another's of the New Testament. Some of you have probably looked those up, maybe done a study on the one another's. If you haven't, just Google it. Not now. 
But look for the list of one another's in the New Testament. What you'll find is there are about 59 places where that phrase one another appears. And all of those have to do with how we're meant to treat one another in the household of God. How we're meant to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Plenty of commands on how we treat people outside the church. But all of those one another's teach us how to live as a family. They teach us how to experience community beyond anything we've ever imagined. If we will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to obey those commands... So let's do this. Let's imagine a church for a moment. Because I want, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through some of these one another's. And it, it's one thing to hear them as a command. But I want you to hear them as a description of what a church would be like if, we, if that church obeyed these commands by the power of the gospel. We'll call this imaginary Presbyterian church. Imaginary pres. What would it be like at imaginary pres? So I'm going to read these again. I'm going to read through a bunch of these. And I just want you to hear this. What would you think if you heard somebody describe a church in this way? Oh, imaginary Presbyterian? Yeah, those people are always at peace with one another. Mark 9. They love one another. John 13. They are devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12. They honor one another above themselves. Romans 12. They live in harmony with one another. They, they don't pass judgment on one another. They accept one another as Christ has accepted them. They instruct one another. They greet one another with a holy kiss. It's in there. They, when they, when they come together and eat, they wait for each other. They have equal concern for one another. They serve one another in love. They carry one another's burdens. They're patient with one another and they bear with one another in love. They are kind to one another and compassionate. They forgive one another. In humility, they consider one another better than themselves. They don't lie to one another. They do admonish one another. They encourage each other. They build one another up. They spur one another on toward love and good deeds. They do not slander one another. They do not grumble against one another. They confess their sins to one another. They pray for one another. They offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. They clothe themselves in humility toward one another. That's where I want to go to church. That's the church you want to be part of. We want imaginary Presbyterian to become university Presbyterian or the other way around. We want to be a church. I believe God wants us to be a church that lives like a family, that one another's each other in such a way that the watching world is thinking, how do do they do that? I want to be a part of that. And he's given us the roadmap. And he's given us his spirit to empower us to seek to obey these things and to to live this way with one another and to experience otherworldly family at church. 
You know, why does he want that for us? You know, he, he, it's, he doesn't want us to do these things for him, so to speak. He wants us to do it for us to experience that, for his glory, but for our joy. He wants us to have that powerful community that we can have through the work of his spirit in us as we seek to obey things like this, as we see each other as brothers and sisters. And we don't rest until everybody here feels like they are part of this family and that they are valued and loved and treated in these ways. He wants us to have that because he knows it is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a foretaste of the kingdom. He also knows that it changes our experience of life. It increases our quality of life. You ever heard of Rosetto? Let me tell you about two cities. Okay, tale of two cities. One city was Rosetto. And let me tell you about Rosetto. Very interesting. In the 1960s, there were these two doctors from the University of Oklahoma who were talking about the fact that there was this city, this little town called Rosetto, and next door was a town called Bangor. And one of the doctors was explaining that the number of people who had heart attacks in Rosetto was substantially lower than in the next door town. Substantially lower. And, and it was so interesting that a team of medical researchers decided to study these two cities to see why was it that in the same area one town had way fewer heart attacks than the other. And so they, they did all these studies to try to figure out what, what is it about Rosetto? Is it, uh, was it their diet? They looked at what they ate and it turns out no, the Rosettans shared a typical American diet, so it wasn't that. They asked, is it genes? Because most of the people, uh, there were Italian. And they found out that, nope, other Italian communities had heart attack rates similar to the national average, so it wasn't their genes. They thought maybe it's their healthy habits, but it turns out Rosetta smoked as much as people in other neighboring towns, and they exercised as little uh, as people in neighboring towns, and they met the national average for obesity and high blood pressure, so it wasn't healthy habits. They said, well, maybe it's the environment that's helping them have so few heart attacks. But turns out that the surrounding areas, there was really nothing unique about Rosetto's environment, so it wasn't that. They thought maybe it's a short-term statistical anomaly, but it turns out that this trend had held up for over 50 years. So in the end, the health officials tracked the secret of good health in Rosetto. You want to know what it was? They determined that it was their close sense of community, very strong bonds of family and friendship. Was the only thing they could figure out was actually making them physically more healthy. Isn't that amazing? One doctor said, quote, in terms of preventing heart disease, it just is possible that morale is more important than jogging or not eating butter. <laughs> so Rosetta, what do, what do you get from Rosetta? Rosetta is a town where everyone worked to have and maintain a strong sense of community and friendship. And it was so powerful and wonderful that it actually changed them physiologically. So that's one city. Let me tell you about another city. Seaside. Some of you have heard of Seaside Village. If not, you've probably seen it. If you've seen the Truman Show, you've seen Seaside Village. That's where they, that's where they shot it. Seaside Village was one of the first planned communities. I said first in the first service. I was corrected. It's not the first so I retract that. Uh, it is one of the first planned communities. Okay, so before it was ever built, it was all planned out. And it happened back in 1978. This wealthy landowner wanted to plan out this entire city, town, not very big, about 80 uh, acres he had available. So what he did is he designed it so that all of the commerce and restaurants 
and shops and things would be right in the middle. And then all around the center would be where the houses were, kind of going out in concentric circles. And all the sidewalks went right down to the middle of town. And his dream was giving these people this idyllic seaside small town experience where they're walking and they see each other and they stop and they talk. And when they're going to get their mail, they, they see their neighbors and they're having great friendships and they're walking their dogs or they're going to the restaurants and they're always having this vibrant community. And it, you know, on paper, it looked fantastic. Of course, that's, there's going to be amazing community in that town. But there wasn't. It ended up being that people didn't talk to their neighbors any more than in any other town. And people didn't have a small town feel any more than they did in any other town. So what does that show us? What that shows us is that having everything in place for there to be community doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. There has to be something more. There has to be something that inspires and empowers people to work towards having community like that. So the town of Rosetto is proof that community is something worth the effort, and the town of Seaside is proof that it doesn't happen without effort. So as a church, as we're rethinking church, it's so important that we begin more and more to think that we are a family and we're meant to live like a family and to think about both the systems that would that we would think would lead to family, lead to community, but then also be willing to put in the effort necessary. So what do we have as a church? Well, one of the key things we have is our community groups. And there's over 400 people in community groups, but we do have about 200 people that aren't in a community group. And so one of the ways that we can apply this important reality of living as a family is for if you're not in a community group, I want to strongly encourage you to go ahead and make your way into one of our community groups with the intention of living like a family together. And at the end of our service this morning, you'll have an opportunity to connect with some community group leaders. Now, here's another thing, though. Since uh, uh, the majority of us are in a community group, what I want us to do what I think would be good for us to apply this would be in our next community group meeting to have a list of those one and others. We'll try to send one out to you if you haven't Googled it already. Have a list of those one and others and I would, I would encourage two things. Number one, look through that list and be honest with your fellow community group leaders about which ones are actually really hard for you to do. Let's be honest about our struggles. So acknowledge the one and others that are difficult for you or challenging for you. Then second, I would encourage everyone in a community group to be bold and look at that list and say, here's the ones I wish I had more of from you. Because all that does is gives each of us in those community groups that opportunity to rely on Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in us to work towards more of a feeling of family in our community groups, which will make its way into the whole entire congregation. And wouldn't that be amazing if bit by bit, week by week, we see that the way people describe being part of this church family becomes more like what we read before with the one and others. It only happens if the gospel is central. 
It only happens if we believe that Jesus has not only paid for our sins on the cross, given us his righteousness, and promised us eternal life, but also has put us into this family. And he, too, is not ashamed to call us brothers, as it says in Hebrews 2.11, because of what he's done for us, because he has washed away our sin, because he has given us his righteousness and he has made us part of the household of God. So as we think about that in the coming weeks and these other metaphors as well, be also praying that University Presbyterian Church would become a place of just otherworldly community. That we would say, I love being a part of that. And the watching world would say, I want to be a part of that. And we would say, well, good news. Anybody can get in on this. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to see the way you call us to treat one another and assume that we must do those things if you are going to love us or if we're going to somehow earn our way into your family. Would you help us to believe the gospel, to believe that we are your children by grace and then help us to be a family. Help us to live as members of the household of God. Transform the experience of community and family at this church. Do it all for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.